Good morning, friends. Welcome. If you will, grab a seat. Grab your Bibles. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers. If I have not yet met you, welcome to Clear Creek. So glad that you are here with us this morning. And happy Labor Day weekend to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) You doing okay, Mike? Awesome. Awesome. Good week so far? I mean, it's your first day, so it should be pretty good, right? Good, good. Man, I'm so glad y'all are here. Hey, if you are new, you're going to hear this a lot from us. Our mission as a church is to reach the next person for Jesus because we believe every person matters to God, and so we want every person to know him. Pretty simple. You ready to get in the Word of God, church? One of you is. (laughs) Let's pray so the rest of us get there, shall we? Father, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for welcoming us into your family. And now, as we come into the text, show us what you want us to see so when we exit the text this morning, we will be more like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. And all those who agreed said, amen, amen. Amen. Several years ago, there were a series of commercials that singer-songwriter Sarah McLaughlin did. Some of you, as soon as you hear that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. She did a series of commercials trying to draw support for wounded, uh, abandoned, and abused dogs. Any of you remember the commercials I'm talking about? Some of you still have PTSD from watching these commercials, don't you? Here's the way the commercial would go. Sarah would come on, her song Angel would begin to play in the background as we'd see picture after picture after picture of abused puppy dogs coming across our screen. And then she would say, for a mere donation, you too could help save these dogs from a life of poverty or whatever it is they were trying to save them from. And as you can imagine, it was a very polarizing commercial. Some people loved them, other people hated the commercials. In fact, if you go to YouTube today and just type in McLaughlin dog commercial, you will see parody after parody after parody making fun of those commercials. In fact, Saturday Night Live did a sketch and Sarah McLaughlin now is known more as the dog lady than by her name. In fact, she'll be walking down the street. People won't know her name, but they'll know, hey, it's the dog lady. She says she loves that. But would you guess they've raised over $30 million dollars from a polarizing ad. Isn't it amazing that even a polarizing or controversial or maybe not the best articulated commercial, if it touches a heart, it sparks people to action. That when hearts are broken, people go into action. My question for us, brothers and sisters, as we enter into the text today is, if we were to sit down with Jesus and say, Jesus, what breaks your heart? What would he tell us? Matthew chapter 9 actually gives us the answer to that question. I'm going to invite you to stand as we hear these words from our Savior Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. Beginning in verse 35, it says this. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, that'd be like their churches, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Now, when he saw the crowds, notice this, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So pray to the Lord of the harvest. Let's pray together. Jesus, 
Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Let us see what you see so we will be who you want us to be. It's in your name we ask this. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Two things, two truths from this text. We're in a series called How Disciples Are Made. And we're simply just looking at what does it look like for someone to meet Jesus and become like Jesus. That's the whole thrust of this conversation. And there's two truths that I want us to get from this text. These are the two main ideas in these few verses. Truth number one is that changed lives begin with broken hearts. Changed lives begin with broken hearts. Now, if we took like a rewind view and look at all of chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9 is a hard chapter. It is an overwhelming chapter. In fact, this is the kind of chapter that if you or I live this day, you might find yourself sitting in the corner, kind of hugging yourself, rocking yourself back and forth because of the stress and the weight of ministry that was on Jesus' shoulders. Everywhere he went, people gathered. And then when he would teach, those who learned would go, they'd bring more people, and the crowds grew. Then he'd heal someone, and that person then would go bring someone else who needed healing, and so the crowds grew, and it got bigger and bigger, and the weight on his shoulders got heavier and heavier until this moment comes where he looks out at the crowds, and his heart breaks for them. And, and I wonder, if we were there, what would we see if we looked at Jesus? Would we see a noticeable change maybe in his eyes? Would you see something just sort of click? I wonder how he said what he just said here. Was it sort of soft? Was it loud like it was when he commanded the winds and the waves to obey him? Or was it more reflective, introspective, almost like he's saying it under his breath? Pray that the Lord will send workers into the field. For Jesus, it was never about the crowds or the multitudes in some sort of vague sense. See, he loved the crowds. He loved the multitudes because he loved the people in the crowds. And he always knew that there was some woman, there was some guy, there was some child who needed to know the truth that God lives, God loves, God's here to save. Jesus said at one point, I know my sheep. And he cares for his sheep. And under the weight of what they were dealing with, Jesus' heart breaks Changed lives begin with broken hearts. Now, did you notice the word there? It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, notice this. He had, say this word out loud with me, compassion. Let's say it one more time. He had compassion. Now, I love this word for a lot of reasons, okay? Geek time. You can check out, come back with me in two minutes if you want. But here's the geek moment. This word, compassion in the Greek, is a great word. It's the word splanknizomai. I won't make you say that with me. Splanknizomai, I love it. It comes from a root word, splanknon. And that word literally means spleen, guts, or yes, bowels. I, I don't know why, but the inner middle school boy just sort of giggles at that, that Jesus felt bowels when he saw the crowd. It's like spiritual IBS that he was experiencing. He's like, oh, ooh, yeah. Why is the word bowels associated with compassion? And here's why. I'm not trying to be crass. I just need you to understand the ancient way of thinking. The Hebrew people were a very poetic, very metaphorical kind of people. Things were not simply intellectual but emotive. And so it was understood that the seat of the emotion, the core of where you felt, was not in the blood pump. It wasn't in the heart. It's right here. It's like that moment where you're getting up to speak. Maybe you've had to give a presentation and you're not used to that. And so you feel butterflies where? In your stomach. You're like, ah. 
And so this idea of splanknon, of splanknizomai, is that in the core of his being, he was moved. In fact, we might put it this way. Go back one slide. What's this next slide here? It's an intense emotion that moves you. Compassion is an intense emotion that moves you. Let me give you an example. Have you ever had a stomach bug? Anyone in here ever had like the stomach flu? All right, can we just talk honestly for a moment here? When you feel it and it moves you, it moves you. Are you catching my drift here? It's like you may have plans, things you want to do throughout the day. It's like, I'm going to go play golf. And your stomach's like, no, we're going to go play bathroom roulette. It's going to be awesome. It moves you so deeply that everything else that was on your agenda is now off your agenda. Are you catching the level of compassion? See, it's not simply I feel something, but I feel it to the degree that it moves me. Jesus, when he sees the brokenness of humanity, when he saw me and saw you, he said, I will be moved to do something about your condition. Not simply just feel bad about it, but I'm going to be moved to do something about it. So here's my question. If I could ask us, the question is, What do you and I feel when we see people? Like, what's the first emotion when you see someone? What is that first thing you feel? And if I'm being honest with you, if I were to confess, most of the time, I don't feel what Jesus feels. I feel, well, I feel what I'm about to show you in a video here. There's a video I saw this week. I was like, oh my goodness, that is what I feel when I see people most often. Let me set it up so it makes sense. There's a dad, little boy, and the dad's holding a baby. They're standing on the front porch of a friend's house. And the son is about to complain about having to hang out at this friend's house. And what we're watching is the supposed video footage from the doorbell. You know what I'm talking about? Those little things where you can see people and you don't have to answer the door. Glorious. All right, that's what we're about to see. Take a look at this. Turn it up real loud. Why are you even here, Dad? Stop. I want you to talk about is this outside the house financial problem. Oh, I mean, I was so excited to see Tommy. He's not pathetic. He's so nice. He's such a good guy. I was so excited to see him today. Did you just see the dad's soul, like, leave his body right then? (laughs) Now, I don't know if that's real or staged. It doesn't matter. Have you ever felt like that little boy when you see people? It's like when you see them, the first thing you think is not, oh, compassion. It's like, are you serious? In fact, if the words that we were to use, maybe for some of us, we would say, yeah, it is compassion. But maybe if we're honest, the first word we'd say is, no, I feel annoyed with people. When I see them, the spiritual gift of annoyance just kind of gets flared up. It's like, ah, really? Again? Or maybe it's not annoyance. Maybe we feel anger because you're like, after all this time, why haven't things changed? Or maybe for some of us, we feel sadness. So yeah, we feel something, but not enough to move us to action. And then, and then in this room, I know so many of you have deep hearts for people. And for a lot of us, if we're honest, what we feel, because the needs are so great and they keep piling on, that we just go, it's just too much. I mean, have you watched the news lately? Have you experienced what's going on in our city? Do you see what's happening? And we just go, I, I, can't, I can't handle it. It's too much input. I don't have the bandwidth. And so we turn off the news, we get off social media, we sort of hunker down because it's just too much. I mean, it was one thing when we saw the stats in Atlanta and in Nashville, but now it's in our own city. We see the rates of suicide. We see the young people who are blowing up their lives. You go, it's just too much. 
We see the marriages that are imploding because one person or both people are just unwilling to come back to the table. And so it's just too much. And we see kids who are abandoned or kids who need homes, but no one's willing to take them in. And it's just too much. And so we say, I, I want to have compassion, but if I do, I will absolutely crumple under the weight of what I'm experiencing. But not Jesus. He doesn't block out the pain. He doesn't block out what he sees. He experiences it because changed lives begin with broken hearts. I love what one pastor that I admire said. He said when he was in seminary, one of his professors would actually flunk his students if his students did not know the names of the custodians at the school, the person who served the meals in the dining hall, the people who cleaned their dormitories. They would actually be flunked if they didn't know it. Why? The professor wanted his students to know that life gets heavy and full. And if we're not careful, people around us who God loves and wants us to care for become invisible to us. You know what I'm talking about? It's just too much. I can't see it. And if we're not careful, we miss the people around us. So let's just do this for a moment. Let's just run through our day. So tomorrow morning, wait, tomorrow's Labor Day. Okay, Tuesday morning, right? What time do you get up? Six, seven, maybe some of you are real early risers, four, 4.35, What's the first thing you, some of you haven't seen 4 a.m. ever, I know. Who am I kidding? But what do you do? First thing, you get up. Some of you, you're going to go to the gym. So what do you do? You're going to go in. Who do you see? You see the person who checks you in at the front. What's that person's name? What's the name of the person on the machine next to you who's going towards that bright light because they're working out so hard? You know the person I'm talking about? What's the name of the people who are around you? Do you know their stories? Have you had a conversation with them? Or later in the morning, you go, you grab a cup of coffee, you go to your favorite spot, or maybe you go over to that restaurant for lunch. You know, it's the one you always go to with the great sandwiches or the little Italian place. Quick question, what's the name of the server that always seats you and always gets your order? What's that person's story? What's the person's name? Or you get into the office, let's just say you roll in and let's be honest, no one goes into the office and says, I'm gonna race to get my work started. No. Everyone sort of eases into their work. So you go to the break room, you get a cup of coffee and there's other people there. And so what do you do? You have a little conversation with them, don't you? And there's always that circle of coffee friends, right? And there's the guy who always is interested in the latest Netflix documentary. There's the other person who can't wait to tell you about how their team did over the weekend. Question, do you know more than just their name? Do you know their story? Do you know what's on their heart? Do you know what has happened beyond the score of the team that they love? And then, and then for a lot of us, you come home and if you're like me, the last thing you want to do is interact with people after you've interacted with people all day. But do you, when you come home, do you know the name of the neighbor on your right and left side or the people across the street? See, these are the people God has placed around you. When Jesus saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion because changed lives begin with broken hearts. Observation number one. Observation number two, much faster, is simply this. What is it that Jesus does? What is it that Jesus says when you see the broken lives around you? What is the response? And it's nothing like what I would expect. What is Jesus' response? Pray. Like full stop. When you see what's broken, the first response is prayer. In fact, here's observation number two. Prayer is our first response. It's not our last resort. Yes, pray is the last thing you do, but don't let it be the last thing that we do. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, beseech the God over it all. Why? Because Jesus knows the power of the one to whom we pray. And here's the question I had as I was reading the text. It's like, man, what do I think of 
when I hear Jesus say pray? Like, like what comes to my mind? And maybe I'd ask you, what comes to your mind when you hear Jesus say pray? What, what is that mental picture? If I'm bone honest with you this morning, I would tell you often I think I'll pray, but it's not going to do any good. It won't make a difference. You know, I've tried that before and things didn't happen. You know, I really, really need this and God didn't come through. And so why would I pray? Or maybe I'll do it out of obedience, but not because I believe it'll actually affect anything. And here's, I think, part of the problem. We know how to pray, but we don't know the way Jesus prayed. See, like every one of us in here knows how to pray. I love what Daniel was saying about his kid. Like when your kid needs something, what does your kid do? Help. If you know how to do this, you know how to pray. Help. We know how to pray. We do it every morning when we have breakfast. Dear God, thank you for this meal. We know how to pray when we go to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. By the way, that is a terrible prayer to teach your little kids before they go to sleep. It's like, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, sleep well, honey. Good night. Like, really? Come on. We know how to pray. We go to the doctor, we go to the hospital, we say, dear God, help my sick friend. But then we pay more attention to what the doctor says than what God could do because we really don't think God can do much. See, when Jesus says pray, he says to Josh, he says, Josh, don't pray like you pray. Don't pray with the level of certainty that you have. Pray like I pray, Josh. Pray like the king of the universe prays. Have you noticed that Jesus, when he prayed, he like prayed. How often was it that he would get up early in the morning? In fact, you remember that verse in Mark 1, that early in the morning, put this up, Mark 1. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It was so important that he interrupted his sleep for it. It's like, this is so important that God in a bod would still pray fervently. That his heavenly father, that your father, that our heavenly father would move in this earth. That when you see the brokenness of the world, before you begin to do things, pray. See, this is one of the reasons I'm convinced Jesus was not a church of Christer. Here's, here's what I mean by that. If I see a problem, what's my first response? We need to get a committee together. Let's appoint a deacon over it. We're going to have like a deacon of the loss and this guy's going to be responsible for reaching them. We'll just get him to do it. I'll just kind of watch and listen. Or let's, let's have a conference and we'll bring in experts who know how to feel really, really bad about things and help us know how to feel really, really, really bad so we have compassion. Do you notice Jesus does not say any of those things? He says when life is broken and you feel the weight of the world on you, pray because God is in the business of changing lives. Why would I resort to Josh's strength when I can't change one life? Why would I not go to the king of the universe and say, help us, Father. Broken hearts change things. Prayer is our first response, not our last resort. When you see the world broken, pray. In fact, this was the habit of Christians throughout the centuries. Just leaf through the pages of the Old Testament. You'll see this. When there's a problem, people pray. Let me give you a few examples. Do you guys remember the great prophet Elijah? Elijah, the prophet of God, we're told this. He was a human being, even as we are. This is just to say, he's nobody special. 
Elijah was a human being, even as we are, but he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. The next verse says, then he did pray and God opened the skies. When was the last time you believed God could actually do something miraculous, family? And prayed fervently that God would act. Or what about the protege? Not Elijah, but Elisha. You know the story in 2 Kings, don't you? Elisha and his servant are surrounded by a foreign army. Their lives are about to be forfeit. But Elisha knows something that his servant doesn't. And so the servant, he's freaking out going, we're going to die. So what does Elisha do? He prays, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire. Around the army that surrounded them was God's presence, God's army. When was the last time that we just prayed? You know the story of Nehemiah, don't you? The leader of Israel who helped them rebuild the broken down city walls of Jerusalem. And they completed this great task in only 52 days under incredible stress and opposition. Now, here's what's interesting. We focus on the miraculous speed with which they built and forget that he spent four months praying before one brick was laid on the other. Is it possible the reason that our world is in the state it is, is not because the church isn't around, but the church doesn't pray to the God who moves mountains? What would it look like for you and for me if our first response was, help us, God? That when life is heavy, when we see the brokenness, we don't try to run to fix it first. We run to the one who can fix it first. Change lives begin with broken hearts. We pray first. It is our first response, not our last resort. And so I wonder this morning, what is it that God may be leading us to do? Who's the person on your heart, on your mind? Who's the one that you go, I've tried. I'm not sure how to have the right words, the right moment. I wonder if today what we need to do is just pray. So why don't we do that here? I'm going to give you, and we're going to take about three minutes, and we're just going to talk to God. Now, if you're new and you're not sure how this works, don't stress. You can just sit there and think about your grocery list. That's okay. But maybe this morning, take this moment And just say hi to God. For the rest of us, I want to invite you to get comfortable. I'd encourage you to put both feet on the floor. There's nothing more spiritual about feet on the floor than cross. It'll just keep you from falling asleep is easy. I encourage you to take a breath. We're going to go ahead and prepare the room. We're going to dim the lights. We're going to put on just a little bit of music. And that's not to do anything weird, but rather to help you just breathe. A lot of you brought some weight in here this morning, didn't you? Take a deep breath. We're going to go ahead and begin. And as we do, remember that the God who loves you has been waiting for you all week and is here today to hear from you. So as you take that first breath, maybe close your eyes. And then I would invite you, ask God to bring to mind the one person that he wants you to reach. Maybe it's a neighbor or the guy on the machine next to you at the gym. Or the server at the restaurant who just seems sad, would you ask God, give me that name. Who is that person? Bring that person to mind. Next, I invite you to ask God how he wants you to pray for that person. 
What's the need? What's the challenge? Is it their marriage? Is it their kids? Is it their health? Is it something else? What is the thing specifically God would have you pray for them? Ask God because God answers prayer. Would you fall to your knees? Would you thank him? Tell him now. 